Hi, I'm David Green, and welcome to episode two of season 24 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Today, I'm talking to Kevin Wheeler, founder of the Future Talent Institute. I've had the pleasure of knowing Kevin for a number of years, and I've always valued Kevin's forward-thinking approach to shaping the future of work. Well, what I think you'll find most fascinating is his insightful ideas for a new model for recruitment. I would make the internal recruiting function more of a cross-functional partnership between a, a recruiter who has some talent expertise coupled with a hiring manager and maybe coupled with some other, maybe a marketing person that could help to promote that position externally. So, you know, we really need to say, how do we bring those elements into recruiting? And they're both essential elements to be successful. During this episode, Kevin and I will also cover topics such as why using recruitment process outsourcing companies or RPOs can be key to gaining access to wider talent intelligence. We look at the role of technology and marketing in talent attraction, and also how technology can help prevent human bias during the candidate selection stage. We look at going beyond traditional reporting metrics such as time to hire and cost per hire, and pivoting towards predictive recruitment analytics. And there's much more too. So without further ado, I am delighted to welcome to the podcast, Kevin Wheeler. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Kevin Wheeler, founder at the Future of Talent Institute to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Kevin, it's wonderful to have you on the show. We've known each other for for quite a few years now. Can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to, to you and your work? Sure. At the Future Talent Institute, we try to look out at the, the big, the mega trends in technology, economics, demographics, and so forth that are going to have an impact on recruiting and learning and development and HR in general. We've been doing this for probably close to 20 years now. You know, we spend quite a lot of our time just exploring leading edge technologies and where they're, where they're taking the profession. Great. And, and we're going to, we'll be doing a deep dive, particularly as that relates to recruitment and talent acquisition. But before we get into that in more detail, it'd be great to hear about your career history, because obviously you are a former practitioner for those that don't know, and, and how you got into, to, into HR and, and recruitment in the first place. Well, I guess accidentally, like most people, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I actually started out my career as a high school teacher, believe it or not, and left that after a short period of time and got hired as a um, learning and development specialist in the semiconductor industry. And that's where I started my career in HR. And I moved from learning and development, where I ultimately um, created National Semiconductor University and built up a whole learning and development program there and moved from there into college relations, college recruiting, and general recruiting, left the semiconductor industry uh, in America and went to the semiconductor industry in Asia for a few years. And uh, I spent quite a few years. I was in the U.S. Peace Corps uh, in the beginning in Thailand, and so I speak Thai fairly fluently. And so I was back in Asia, Thailand, uh, working in the semiconductor industry, and then came back to the U.S. and went into the financial services industry and headed up recruiting and learning and development for the Charles Schwab Corporation. And at the end of that period of time, I decided to go out on my own. And that's when I started the Future of Talent Institute and uh, began consulting and working with uh, companies all over the world uh, to try to help improve both 
recruiting and learning and development. And, and presumably that that experience as a practitioner helps you take those big macro trends and, you know, around technology and economics and demographics, as you said, and, and actually apply those to into a into something that's going to resonate with recruiters and learning and development professionals. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think I could do what I do if I didn't have that uh, practitioner's background and experience, not only experience in the fields, but experience in the corporate world and you know, how it works and how decisions get made and, and so forth. And I think that's just really vital to being effective as a consultant and, uh, and providing advice that's actionable, I guess the right word is, for the people that are actually doing the job. Yeah. Are we going to spend most of today's conversation talking about your ideas for a new model for recruitment? Can you provide listeners with the kind of overview of what this new model is and, and why you believe it's important? Well, first of all, let's just step back and look at how recruiting is done today. And unfortunately, in most companies, it's it's really a matter of uh, trying to find, with a great deal of difficulty, increasingly so given the the, the talent marketplace today, trying to find the round peg for the round hole. And, and I think that uh, there's a lot of frustration, a lot of anger even in, amongst hiring managers and, and recruiters and companies for not really being efficient at doing that. So one of the things I look at is, you know, what's going on in that the whole world of recruitment and its relationship to technology and every other field, uh, manufacturing, finance, they're, they're heavily invested in technology and use it to augment and improve what they do. Uh, and recruiting is, is, I think, way behind in that in the adoption of those tools. And there's a lot of reasons for it. You know, one is HR is always looked upon as an administrative overhead. It's not uh, an investment opportunity from most companies' perspective. Uh, so it's hard to get budget. HR people are not technologists, so they don't really understand the technology. So when you really look at it, this, I don't, I'm not surprised that they haven't done it. But I think to break out of that cycle, we need to think about a new model for how we organize and, and run recruiting. So I think the first thing I propose is that HR hire a couple of different kinds of people. One is somebody in, uh, with an IT background who can really understand the technology and interface with the internal corporate IT function to integrate the products into, into the process. And I think right now today what happens is the HR goes to IT and they don't have the resources. You know, we're too busy writing code for sales or marketing or whatever else. And, and sorry, guys, you're at the bottom of our list, right? So the only way to change that is to dedicate a resource to that, number one. Number two, I think they need more data in order to make better decisions. And so a data analyst would be my next hire. And I'm really kind of surprised that recruiting functions haven't lobbied for those kinds of resources or traded a recruiter for, for one of those kinds of people, because I think it would make a tremendous difference in what they did. And then the, the second thing, um, which kind of gets into another topic, but it's really about when you've got a high volumes of similar roles, it's really uh, inefficient to do that in the way that most corporations do it today. Uh, RPOs or recruitment process outsourcing organizations, I think are far better equipped to do that volume recruiting, not only volume, but particularly volume recruiting uh, in a more efficient way. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. For one thing, they've invested in technology, which most corporate functions have not been able to do. Uh, and when you're making money or trying to make money, the first thing you do is increase efficiency. And the way RPOs have done that is by investing in that technology and leveraging it to really lower their costs and improve the speed of what they do. So I would offload high volume 
I would make the internal recruiting function more of a cross-functional partnership between a, a recruiter who has some talent expertise coupled with a hiring manager and maybe coupled with some other, maybe a marketing person that could help to promote that position externally. Uh, so, you know, we really need to say, how do we bring those elements into recruiting? And they're both essential elements to be successful. And do you, I mean, over the years, have you seen this improve? Because, I mean, we work with, a num- I mean, admittedly bigger organizations that have those people analytics teams, they have those data analysts, some of those are supporting recruiting, some organizations have a separate team uh, that supports uh, recruiting with, with, with analysts in there. And, and again, some of these companies are hiring people with, with technology backgrounds to work in, in HR. Is, are you seeing an improvement or, or, or is it just in, in smaller pockets? It's in small pockets. It's really with some large multinational companies that really have uh, extensive hiring needs, larger budgets, and, and probably uh, leaders who are more experienced and better equipped to lobby for the resources they need. Uh, I think when you look at mid to small size companies, it's virtually non-existent. And even in large companies that you would expect to have those resources, when you really look inside, they have an ATS. That's usually always there. Other than that, they don't really have any significant resources and very few have any what I would call real data analytics. They have reporting analytics, no predictive, no, nothing that's really useful in terms of the analytics. And without the right technology and the right, you know, analyzing the right data, is this part of why you hear people talking about a talent shortage? Is it a shortage of imagination, a shortage of capability? That's both, absolutely. It's a shortage of an inability to reimagine a job in light of the talent that's out there. And it's a lack of resources to find the talent that does exist. So if we take a typical job, if you look at a job description, let's just pull one at random out of some database 20 years ago and for a similar position and look at the requirements today for that same position. And you'll find that those requirements have significantly increased. You know, we've added all kinds of layers of certificates and qualifications and years of experience that you need. And there's no real data to support the need for that. If you could show me real analytics that said this is absolutely essential, I would have no problem. But you don't. It's just a matter that hiring managers say, oh, I just need this and I want this and I want this. It's kind of like a little kid going to the ice cream shop and wanting everything in the ice cream shop. So it's like somebody somewhere along has to say, how do we put some limits on this or whatever? So I think number one is with over-credential jobs, I think we have really, uh, and, and Google and Microsoft and many companies have already started to change that, and they've already removed the job requirements. About about 25% of companies have removed the need for a degree now from jobs. So it's really, that's a significant change. About equal number, about 25% of companies have reduced the need for a graduate degree to an undergraduate degree. So I think there's a lot more focus right now on hiring for skills and, and abilities and even learning ability than there is for hiring for past performance. So, you know, I think we've got to look at hiring for what you can do, not what you used to do or, or did in the past. And we've got a very rear view mirror looking at everything in, in human resources, I think. It's all rear view mirror. It's our reporting metrics of what happened last month. Uh, and with the speed of the change in the marketplace and the world, those metrics are often not incredibly useful. Uh, things change really quickly. So how do we 
have more forward-looking metrics? How do we have more forward-looking thinking about the roles we need, the jobs we're going to fill? So I think it's a shortage of just um, uh, a lack of really thinking about these jobs. It's just a rote thing. We pull out the job description and we publish it and we, we hire for that without really thinking about it. Uh, I don't think many hiring managers or recruiters sit down and say, okay, let's zero base this job. Let's really think what do we really need? Uh, what are the essential skills that we got to have? And what are the ones that would be kind of nice to have, but we don't really need them. I don't think we do that anywhere near enough. And the interesting thing about that, I mean, I've seen external research and seen it from companies like Lassian who've actually investigated it, that the more requirements you put on a job description, particularly if you put them on in bullet points, there's research, and again, forgive me if the numbers aren't exactly correct, but men will apply generally if they speak if they meet 60% of the requirements. Again, I'm generalizing females generally apply only if they meet 90, 95% of the requirements. So again, you're if you're trying to increase diversity and inclusion within your workspace, you 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 may not be you may be knocking that off at the first hurdle by by, by having those too many requirements. Absolutely, I've seen similar statistics, and, and clearly women have a different approach. Also, you know the whole concept of transferable skills. You know, I don't have this exact skill, but it's close enough that I can learn this new skill really quickly. Right? We don't take those into account. So you leave a whole pool of people who could probably with minimal amount of training or, or experience do the job, we leave them out of the process totally. Yeah. And of course, the data is around now that can help you understand skills adjacency. As you said, skills transfer, you, you might have skills one to five, which means your, your ability to acquire skills six or seven is actually not too difficult. So if you've got a shortage of those skills in the marketplace, hire someone who's got those other skills and you can probably help them grow the other two quite quickly. And, and that addresses the other issue, which is, the lack of learning and development capability in many companies that uh, has, uh, I think, over the years, a lot of that has been removed or reduced, even eliminated in many companies because we're just going to hire talent. We're not going to build it. Uh, and the attitude is they just leave anyway. So why should we invest money in training people uh, and so forth? So we've we've sort of it's sort of a vicious cycle. You know, we've almost created our own our own problem by not investing in development and learning, you know, not not promoting internally and developing people internally, over-credentialing jobs, and then crying that there's nobody out there that can fill our positions. Uh, so, And with a world with a, with a shrinking demographic and an aging population, that's really a, 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 that's really a formula for disaster. When we come back in just a moment, Kevin highlights why, more than ever before, companies are utilising the expertise of RPOs and why recruitment technology could be the game-changer in preventing human bias at the top of the recruitment funnel. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Equate. The most important resource for any company is its people. However, in today's rapidly changing economy, employees are the first to suffer when companies are not prepared for change. While companies may invest into transformation programs, many still do not have the right people with the necessary skills for the current workplace let alone what may be required in the next three years. Equate helps bridge that gap by connecting people with purpose through strategic workforce planning. With the Equate platform, you can leverage the talent you already have to create a blueprint for success and achieve your business goals. Take charge of your smarter workforce decisions and visit equate.ai today. That's eq8.ai.
Welcome back to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast and my conversation with Kevin Wheeler. So you mentioned RPOs, so you know, RPOs, particularly when it comes to volume hiring, particularly because they're investing in technology, particularly because they use data, I guess, in, in, in more abundance than your average company. Can you talk a little bit about why you think RPOs are, are, are good at doing this and, and what has held companies back from, from using RPOs in the past? And, and is that changing? And if so, why is that changing? I think I'll address the last question first. Is it changing? Yes. There's several large companies I know that have outsourced almost 100% of their recruiting to RPS. Uh, and I think that's a trend that's going to continue to grow. The reason the reason goes back to what I mentioned a little while ago about costs and investment. And, but I think more than more than anything on top of all that, it's uh, RPOs have really built vertical pipelines of candidates. They have the talent intelligence that companies lack. So let's just say you're an energy company and suddenly you want to move into the renewable space. Well, the chances are if you've been in traditional energy like oil or coal, you don't know anybody in the renewable space. And so the recruiters go out and they have to basically learn that whole market themselves, right? Really challenging, very time consuming and inefficient. Where if you go to an RPO that specializes in energy, they probably already have a whole database full of people in the renewable space that they can screen and vet for your positions. So the talent intelligence piece, the, 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 the talent pool, is, is a major contributor to the success of RPOs. And again, because they focus on verticals, typically many of them do, and they may have many verticals they focus on, but in those verticals, they are really good. They're very in-depth. They know the people, they know the players, they know them in the geography that you want them in, uh, and they have the technology to find them and assess them uh, very quickly and very efficiently. So, you know, to me, if I, if I, people ask me, if you were the head of a talent organization, again, in a large company, I would immediately look for an RPO and I would decide what jobs are proprietary enough or strategic enough that we need to keep them inside and then focus on those jobs with more of a cross-functional recruitment team. And I would outsource the rest of them to this RPO. But I, I really believe that the future of, of recruiting is going to move more and more to the RPOs. Uh, now, sure, some of the largest companies in the world will have the capability to do their own, and that's fine. And RPOs may not be cost effective for really small companies. So it's going it fits a niche. It's, it's kind of a, a large to medium large company spectrum. But that's where most of the hiring or a lot of the hiring takes place. A lot of the challenging hiring takes place. So RPOs have a very significant role to play, and I think it's going to grow. Uh, and most of the RPOs have I mean, 20 years ago, RPOs were nothing more than glorified agencies, I guess I would say. They really weren't that capable. Uh, that's changed tremendously. And the really good RPOs are, are very, very good at what they do. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I worked in that field for a while and um, at the start, actually, sort of in the early 2000s, showing my age. Um, and you're right. It was just there was the glorified agencies, really, and doing something a little bit different. And then you've got the pure play players coming in, the sort of Alexander Manns, the CLOs and, and others. There's the Wilson HEG, I think it's another one, isn't it? And, you know, I can see, having worked in that space, that, that those companies are continuing to grow and grow and grow and grow. And I guess the technology is getting better so they can provide that value at, at scale that, that they, they even they couldn't provide sort of six, seven, eight years ago. Absolutely. And, I mean, it's really all because of... The internet, the data of the capability to gather this data, find this data. Uh, and of course, the virtual and remote world has expanded that marketplace 
significantly. And if you're willing to hire people remotely, you have a much bigger talent pool to tap into. See, so what about those companies? And there are many that have, you know, have already invested heavily in building in-house recruitment teams. You know, are you seeing some of them moving to RPOs or did you see that as a trend that's going to going to sort of increase moving forward? I haven't seen it yet. I mean, there's a few larger companies that have outsourced a lot of things to uh, the RPOs. What they've done with their internal recruiters is the internal recruiters generally go work for the RPO. So they're not really laying them off or reducing them, but they're they're changing where and who they work for. And then the recruiters get better training as well from the RPO typically than they get internally. Uh, but I haven't seen the biggest companies other than in a particular vertical. Now, a large company may go out and use the RPO for one type of role. You know, this uh, let's say we're an energy company and we don't know renewables. So we'll use an RPO for the renewable space, but we're still going to keep our normal recruiting for all the other things that we do. So I think you're going to see it as an evolution, not a revolution. Uh, I think, you know, many mid to smaller companies, growing companies may just adopt the RPO model from from day one, for the most part. Uh, I think the larger, more established companies, it's definitely going to be an evolution. So RPO is one area, and I'm sure so we could probably talk about it for the whole time, but we're not going to. We're going to move, move on to the next area. So let's, let's sort of shift to talking about the impact of technology and automation is having on recruitment. Now, I know because I had the pleasure of knowing you for quite a long time, Kevin, you're always kind of ahead of where the, the market is around this. There are a lot of vendors out there now that are specifically targeting recruitment teams. And we've seen some great case studies in the past from companies like Unilever on how they've used technology to support high volume recruitment. Firstly, what are your thoughts on how technology can help with talent sourcing? You know, and what is the role of recruitment marketing in this as well? Well, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's growing. I mean, the number of companies in the HR and recruiting space is, is just growing like mushrooms. Uh, it's just, it's amazing how much money is invested in from the VC world and the HR and recruitment space right now. Um, so you're seeing a lot of interest and a lot of focus in that area. So the areas that I think are getting the most attention right now, number one is, is the, um, the talent intelligence piece that I just talked about. Uh, where are people located? Who has the skills and where are they? And that includes uh, internal employees as well as external people. So companies um, like Gem and Rejig that can scrape the whole universe out there of internal and external candidates, look at their skills, assess those skills using, let's just say that you work for, as you're used to, IBM. Well, they could look at your your internal profile, uh, could look at your LinkedIn profile, could look at your Facebook profile. It could look at all sorts of stuff about you uh, with your permission uh, and assess and give you an assessment of your skill capabilities and where those, what the transferable skills are that you have. And those can be used by recruiters to help place you in better jobs and can be used by you to help you look for different jobs that you didn't think you were qualified for. So I think that's a really interesting and growing uh, area and really only possible because of AI and technology that can, can scrape all that data and then make sense out of it. And I think it's, what's amazing is we don't even know what our own capabilities are in many cases. So, you know, finding those things and, and giving you a nudge is really a helpful way to ease the talent shortage. In terms of marketing, uh, HR is really bad at that. Uh, you know, we're, I don't think uh, recruiting has any idea how to do marketing, really. So it's about how do we engage candidates? How do we reach out to them and more effective messaging? And again, a lot of AI is being involved, helping in that process. You know, what attracts, uh, what's our EVP? 
or even may, maybe more specifically, what's our job VP? What's our job value proposition? So, you know, why would a, why would a renewables guy want to come work for an oil company? You know, so we're trying to figure out what, what would attract that person. Uh, again, they can do a lot of analysis on the web to find out the things they look at, the things they click on, what they're interested in, and maybe tailor your marketing message, just like um, product marketers have done for, for decades, right? Um, so it's using the same, basically, technology that's used for product marketing to use it to market a job to a candidate. And I think we've always had this concept that it's a, it's a one-way street. It's a, you know, you have to knock on the door of the employer. The employer doesn't have to knock on your door. And I think in the last decade, that's changed uh, a lot, and it's changing even more today. So we talk about a passive candidate. Well, everybody that bought anything was a passive buyer. <laughs> okay, you know, uh, there's no, when you're an active buyer, you go in the store and you buy it. Uh, that's not an issue. Passive buyers are far more valuable. And so how do we reach out to these candidates who don't even know you exist? Yeah, it's interesting. It kind of leads on nicely to the assessment and selection piece now around how technology is supporting that. And obviously, we've seen it, you know, companies out there really to help and transform how um, organizations do that, whether they're working directly with an in-house team or through an RPO and potentially open up a, a more diverse talent slate, shall we say, you know, if we're looking at, you know, there's a great story about how Unilever traditionally recruited for their leadership development program through just eight main schools. Um, and then by using different technology, how they are able to suddenly literally widen that and get more a more diverse uh, slate coming in um, as well. But love to hear your thoughts about that, but also about related to that, how should companies approach the need for ethical, the ethics around that, ethical AI, and how to avoid falling into traps where technology can replicate human bias, which obviously there should be the reason for using technology to try and eradicate human bias, not to not to replicate it. I mean, so there was a famous Amazon story a few years ago on that, wasn't there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, interestingly, there are several organizations now that actually certify algorithms for being ethical and unbiased. This company's, you know, Rejig is one that's really uh, advertising very boldly that all of their algorithms have been certified as ethical uh, by these organizations. So I think you're going to see a lot more of that. Uh, you know, historically, obviously, companies have guarded their algorithms because they're like your your secret recipe for Coca-Cola, right? That only two people in the world know what that recipe is, right? But and maybe it's okay. Uh, hopefully, one of them is the FDA or somebody that inspects them for safe and safety and health. But the bottom line is that a lot of algorithms have been black boxes, and we don't have any idea what's in there. Uh, and because AI learns from past data, if your past data is biased, then your algorithm will be biased. So you really have to uh, make sure your data set is huge and diverse. Uh, and getting these things certified is, I think, a first step in the process. I think you're going to see a lot more technology saying we're certified as ethical. I think that um, the whole assessment process needs to be built on data, obviously. Uh, and the data, unfortunately, is just now in many companies being collected. So who is your best employee? When you say, how do you define the word best? Uh, you know, how do you determine performance? And how do you verify the qualities or traits that led to that performance? Uh, and then, can, then if, you, if you really have that nailed down in a uh, valid, verified way, then the 
technology is, can be very effective at finding people that match those same traits and characteristics. The challenge there, of course, is how do we make sure we're not just hiring clones? You know, how do we make sure we bring diversity in? So you have to allow some fuzziness around those things in order to bring that diversity in. So, I mean, it's not a simple solution. I, you know, the ideal, uh, the, the, the dream is you just push a button and they assess your skills and, yep, you're the best guy, David, you're hired. Uh, I don't think that's ever going to happen, uh, and I don't think it should. But I think what they can do is help us from get away of, you know, I just have to like that sweater you're wearing today, so I'm going to hire you kind of a thing, which happens for, I think, in many, many jobs. It's a very uh, unscientific and highly um, biased approach that's probably 80% of all hiring. And no matter how much we think it's objective, it's not, uh, because we're all subject to personal influences, personal biases. You know, I like tall people, short people. You know, I like women not more than men or men more than women, whatever it is. We all have some bias. So the technology can help to eliminate that at the beginning of the process. It can never eliminate it completely at the end of the process. But I think we can certainly bring a larger and more diverse pool of candidates in to be uh, recruited by using more objective uh, testing and technology to do that based on skills, competencies, traits that we know are required or necessary or vital to being successful at the job. And I guess what we need to do, and we'll talk about analytics in a minute, but we need to be validating that any tools that we're using on an ongoing process and, and challenging them where necessary. It's interesting because in the States in particular, um, we've seen New York bringing in legislation around using AI in the hiring process. The Equal Opportunities, Equal Employers Opportunities Commission, I might have got that wrong. They're now looking at putting in legislation, I think, uh, uh, around uh, the use of AI, I think they initially were looking at recruiting, but they're now broaden that, I think, across the, the kind of people space. And what's interesting there is the commissioner is actually working with the technology firms, with practitioners to do that rather than just imposing it on them. It's, it's a topic that's not going to go away, is it? Not going to go away. And it really focuses again. In fact, the director of the EEOC, I believe, uh, it came out just a few weeks ago with a statement saying, we really believe in and support the use of AI, but we want to make sure that the algorithms are ethical and unbiased. So I think the focus is really going to be on that. How do we really validate that the AI is doing what it's supposed to be doing and, and not being just as prejudiced as the individuals can be? But I think in the end, ultimately, we'll muddle our way through it. And it'll, it'll be a muddle. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to be a, a, a perfect process. But I think we'll reach a point where the algorithms are better than we are and less prejudiced and biased than we are. And that alone would be a huge accomplishment and open the door up to lots of people who don't have the opportunity to get hired now. Uh, you know, I think that that focus is interesting because when the government gets involved like that, then you know it's a trend that's here to stay and that it's a serious trend and that uh, somebody's really taking a look at it. Now, they can be misguided and the law and rules are always behind the technology. Um, they always act as sort of a counterweight. In some ways, that's good because it ensures that things move in a more uh, fair way. Uh, I know a lot of technologists get really frustrated because they look at it as, you know, throwing impediments in front of them. Uh, but every technology has faced that. The automobile, the automated uh, looms, every, every technology has faced uh, legal and, uh, and rule challenges to it. 
uh, but in, inevitably they always continue to move forward. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Kevin Wheeler. In this final section of the podcast, we turn our thoughts to current and prospective future innovations in the recruitment analytics and automation space. Next topic is one that obviously we've spoken about in the past um, around analytics. You talked a lot about the talent intelligence data that's, that, that's supporting sort of leading companies around analytics and some of the specialist companies are actually providing that talent intelligence as well. So we've seen great strides in the people analytics space in, in recent years, um, you know, but a lot of recruiting leaders still talk about time to fill, cost per hire. But what, what innovations are we seeing in the recruitment analytics space and, and how is this technology helping? Well, I think uh, the movement is slow. <laughs> it's slow, but it's definitely moving in a good direction. I think we have probably, I, I'm just making a complete general guesstimate here, but I would say that 80% of all companies at best are doing reporting metrics. Many of them don't even have good ways to capture that data. But I think more and more companies are at least moving into being able to use that data to help them look into the future to some degree. So they're saying, you know, if we hired 50 people like this last year, how many are we going to need next year? And, And kind of being able to make those, I'd say right now they're guesstimates, rather than really good data-based estimates, but uh, at least they're making an effort to do that. And a handful of companies are actually moving into getting enough insightful data, clean, figuring out how to access their, their big data to clean it up and analyze it, and actually at least make some very rudimentary predictive analytics that are really based on, on uh, data. I don't think it's a lot of companies yet doing that. You may know more than I do about all the ones that are doing it. But for sure, there are companies working doing that. Uh, as we move beyond predictive, I don't think we have much going on there yet. I think that's another five years or more away before we get there, maybe longer, into like uh, prescriptive analytics or anything like that. But I think the, the descriptive analytics, reporting analytics, um, they're getting better. They're more accurate. I think many companies are now aware of their need to use data to make some of these uh, predictions. But I think more than anything, if they're gathering data to kind of look at what are the skills that really differentiate a good performer from a not so good performer, I think that's maybe where it's playing out the best right now. So if we can actually give um, uh, tests or analyze the best performers and what they do, what they contributed, and figure out what was the trait that led to that, I think that's a huge improvement in being able to select people that have similar skills or traits, right? Uh, rather than just guessing, oh, why that person is better. And, you know, the big mystery I think that every recruiter and HR person has faced is, you know, why is 
this person better than these other two? What makes that person a star performer? Uh, and I think we really historically have not had any good understanding of that, just, just our own bias, our own opinion. I think now we're able to get that data. We can actually look at what they did and what they accomplished. So we're making good strides, but I think we have a very long way to go for most companies. Uh, most companies are, I work with a lot of clients that they don't even have access to the data. They don't even have Google Analytics. So, you know, it's really amazing to me that uh, and when you ask them, uh, they go, oh, gee, Google has analytics? I didn't know that. Uh, and these are some HR people that just really don't know that. So things like how many people came to your career site, things that I don't even, they're not really people analytics, but they're marketing analytics, you know, yeah. who clicked on what, you know, that we don't even have that data. So we've got, we've got a long way to go to do that. But a handful of companies yeah. are doing much better at it. Unilever is one. There's others that are that are definitely investing more energy and effort in that. And it will it will definitely pay off for them. It's a competitive advantage if you can do that. And it's interesting, is it? Because, you know, time to productivity, for example, would be a metric worth understanding. And, and why are certain people more productive quicker than others? Is that them? Is that the individuals that we're hiring because they have certain skill sets or is that the environment that they're in? So, I mean, there's lots that you can collect data around to, to understand that. Now, I'm wondering, I haven't worked in the RPO space for quite a while, but one of the challenges I saw that was in the RPO space, it was, it was a challenge of the race to the bottom. It's all about cost per hire as well, putting fees down. You know, I wonder all these years later whether whether the RPOs are changing the conversation at all by educating their their clients on looking at other metrics rather than time to hire and cost per hire and whether they're actually helping them understand the value that they provide beyond the economies of scale that they give as well i don't know if there's any sort of obviously don't need to mention names i don't know if there's any interesting initiatives that these rpos are doing and helping to to kind of move the discussion forward a little bit i think they're trying i think the the two big ones the two that you already mentioned are doing a lot in that space trying to do a lot in that space I think the real challenge comes internally as well as from external is that, you know, what is the cause of lack of productivity? Let's say this person, is it because of the hiring manager? Is it because of budget? Is it because of of internal bureaucracy? Is it uh, this person is more productive because he has a great boss and a great budget? Or is it because um, of some other thing, right? So separating the wheat from the chaff, I think, separating the, the real person capability versus those environmental things that you talked about is, is the real challenge for most organizations. And let's face it, most of the recruiters I work with are, are overworked. They've got tons of requisitions. And the last thing on their to-do list is to go try to figure out that stuff, right? They, all they're trying to do is to get a person in that job before the hiring manager screams so loudly that they get fired. You know, so, and, and that's unfortunate, but it's really the reality right now in this marketplace. If you're looking for hard to find talent, your day is totally consumed with just uh, uh, not trying to improve the system, but just survive in the system. Uh, and that's, and that's really a shame because uh, we're not making breakthroughs that we should be making, like reassessing the jobs and the skills and just looking at the workforce, expanding the definition of a workforce to include the, the gig workers. These are all challenges that, you know, most hiring managers just want to hire a full-time person, even though they may not need a full-time person, but nobody really challenges them on that or suggests that they bring in a, a consultant or a contractor to do that. 
So, I mean, I think it's about, you know, recruiters just are, and most companies right now are overworked. So that kind of brings it to the next question. It kind of brings some of this together. So when we think about all the innovation in the space, and there is so much innovation going on, let's, let's be honest about it. You know, why are so many companies still hesitant to advance in this area? And, you know, some of the tools that we talked about being around for five or maybe even more years, you know, why aren't more companies investing, for example, in recruitment automation? I think two big factors. Number one, uh, sort of combine them together, even though they're sort of separate, is time and money. When you're overworked and scrambling, uh, you just don't have time to think about how we could implement a piece of technology here. And the second thing is uh, the money to purchase it. And I'll combine with that a, a third piece, which is the skill to do it. So time, money, skill. Those are the three initial hurdles, I think, to doing it. But then there's, a, there's one that sort of sits on top or underneath all of this, which is your own personal bias and your own opinion that I don't want to work my, put myself out of a job, or I don't really believe uh, recruiting is a people function and I need to be talking to people. I think machines are, are in effect evil or, or impersonal and not good. Uh, and there's a lot of that. So, you know, when you combine the fact that, first of all, I'm really busy and I really think it's all about people, and then I don't have time, money, or expertise, then it's very easy to say, I'm not going to put any technology in or I'm not going to focus on the technology, right? I think it's slowly changing. I think that interest in things like a chatbot is growing tremendously because those are perceived as sort of front-end helpers, augment the process, eliminate a lot of unqualified people from getting through to me so I can spend more time on the qualified people. Um, I think those things are trying to make a little bit of progress. I think using some screening tools uh, up front whether it's gaming or simple coding tests or helping to improve that process. So it's, it's coming in incrementally in little places, Uh, programmatic job advertising to advertise jobs, automatic job posting to post jobs out there. Things like LinkedIn Insider giving them a little bit more talent intelligence than they had before. So there's little incremental things that are helping uh, and are, and are technology based that are helping. Um, But to go ahead and say, we're going to just really sit down, look at our process from, you know, beginning to end uh, and figure out where can we implement technology effectively? uh, What tools could we use? Rarely ever happens. Uh, It's more of a um, hit and miss prospect uh, where we have a tool here, a tool there. Uh, They may not even be compatible or, or talk to each other. So we've got a lot of that. We've got another big issue in recruiting, which is the turnover recruiting leadership is very high. So I start out a technology implementation and I quit and go somewhere else. And the new person comes in and says, nah, this is crap. I'm not doing it. Uh, so, or doesn't understand it. So you've got, you've got all sorts of factors going on, impacting the, the speed with which technology gets implemented in, in uh, recruiting. Uh, could we have a 80% automated recruiting process? I think we could. Could it still have people touching people. Absolutely. I think that's all very doable, but I don't know of anyone who's even come close to doing that. So I'm not going to ask about the 80% on this one, but but that leads to the next question. What are the companies that you think are doing this well, that are embracing talent intelligence? Can you give our listeners a couple of examples of companies that have really embraced the key aspects of, of your new recruitment model and are kind of leading the way? I think you mentioned one earlier, Unilever has done a lot in that space. Microsoft is doing a lot. 
in, in uh, the analysis of skills and what they need and automating process. Amazon has done a ton. I know it got a bad rap a few years ago for their AI faux pas, but I think that's been rectified to a large degree. Uh, and I think they're pioneering a lot of the hourly and volume assessment is all done through online tools now. Uh, very interesting. If you apply to work in a warehouse or whatever, it's pretty much an automated process. Uh, you will never even talk to a recruiter at all. So a lot of that is happening at that entry-level manual labor point where you just go through a chat bot or a series of, of questions. You may take a test, and if you pass it, you get an offer letter in the mail. Uh, you never talk to a recruiter at all. Uh, some people think that's horrible. Uh, other people think it's refreshing. So it just depends. Google has done a lot in that space, certainly in the analytics of what's required to be a good, a good employee in that space. So I think IBM has put money into this and in, in using Watson, trying to do some screening and so forth of, of candidates. So there's a lot of the bigger companies that are really investing in this and technology oriented companies. I don't think you're going to find much of this in the energy world or the healthcare world or, or, or the advertising world, not yet. But it's, it's the companies that already have the technology skill and knowledgeable people to implement it that are doing it. Yeah, I see Tresweeze because obviously Amazon did get a bad rap, as you said, but at least they were validating the, the AI that they were using. And then they and then they removed it because it was actually doing the wrong thing. So, you know, how many companies out there are using this and not validating it? And it's interesting you mentioned about Microsoft back to the conversation we were having earlier around looking at time for productivity. There's some stuff out there, you've probably seen it, Kevin, that Microsoft actually started to understand the role of managers in, in that type of productivity. And they found that managers that had regular one-to-ones with their new employees had employees that their time for productivity was shorter. Well, who knew, right? If managers spend, yeah. managers spend time with their employees. But, but it's great because then the data's there, um, you know, and it, and it kind of creates those good habits, I think, in, in managers that, that when they hire people around that, which is, which is so, so, so important. So if our listeners are keen to explore some of the new recruitment technologies that are out there, and there are many, what, what are some of the newer innovative tech vendors they should be considering that they probably haven't heard of yet? And, and, and what problems are they trying to solve? Well, I think, you know, a couple of the interesting ones are, are Rejig, which is a new Australian talent intelligence platform. They're really innovative. Uh, and they have competitors like GEM, G-E-M, which is also in the similar space. Uh, so that's a whole new sort of category that's uh, just actually been defined recently as a category. So I think that's one. I think there's a whole lot of improvements in the chatbot space out there. And uh, I think there's many chatbots now. I don't even have any idea how many, but there's a few dozen available out there. But the big ones like Paradox, Olivia are, are really, I think, exceptionally good at what they're doing and getting better and better at assessing and giving candidates, uh, answering candidate questions and giving them feedback right away. I think tools in the, the reference checking area, like Chexter, uh, again, not a new company, but not a very well-known one that does an anonymous 180 sort of check on someone, not based so much on did you like them, but uh, how would you rate them on their strategic capability, whatever, whatever is important in that job? So how would you rate them in their you know, coding skills or how would you rate them in their strategic thinking capability and companies like that? I think the, some of the interesting stuff that's coming that I don't have a company's name behind it right now, particularly, is uh, bioassessment, looking at maybe to verify who you are, to speed your, your hiring process 
and the onboarding process. It's using biometrics to make sure it's actually you. And I think we're seeing this in the Apple phone and things like this, where you uh, can use your face ID to log into all sorts of sites. Imagine if you could go to a, a site and apply just by your face, because that data exists, let's say, in the blockchain. And all the data about me exists in the blockchain. And I go to your career site and I, I take a picture of me and populates my entire application. So I think you're going to see that coming in the, in the very near future. I think that's pretty, pretty fascinating. I think more use of the blockchain stuff is going to become important in, in security and, and uh, keeping us uh, honest, I guess the right word is. So I think the like online coaching and feedback, which isn't necessarily a recruiting particular process, but can be used in that process to kind of determine what your skills and capabilities might be. The Web3, which again is sort of, um, again, related to blockchain, but Web3 is going to provide a whole nother level of, of security and, and so forth. Very, very new, very edgy, nothing tangible in terms of a product yet, but look for companies focusing on those things in recruitment. I think you're going to see a lot of that. Virtual and augmented reality, big deals. I think they're coming. I think being able to give someone a virtual tour of their job or put them into a job experience. This was pioneered in Australia. BHP pioneered this with coal miners, where they actually put them into a virtual environment of being a coal miner, candidates. And it was really because the turnover rate of coal miners is very high, as you might imagine. And as soon as they actually entered a coal mine virtually and saw what the job entailed, many people decided not to apply. So it really reduced their turnover rate tremendously. So I think you're going to see a lot more application of, of particularly augmented so the virtual reality in the very near future. And you're seeing things like the new Apple and Google virtual glasses are coming out and so forth. So there's going to be a lot of innovation in, in sort of the, these edgy areas around recruiting. Uh, and we're going to look back and think that an applicant tracking system is really a horse and buggy, you know, <laughs> Pretty, pretty old-fashioned stuff, you know. Lots, lots to look out for then. So now, now this is a question we're asking everyone on this series, Kevin. You know, what do you believe to be, and you can just broaden it into HR now, what do you believe to be the two to three things that HR will need to do to really add business value as we hopefully come out of the pandemic? I think, number one, they've got to really re-examine what the word work and workforce mean. Right now, I think we just have a very traditional view of eight to five employees permanent. I think that's really archaic, and we really need a whole new model of what the workforce is and what, what is a worker. Number two is I think we've got to really, which goes along with this, we've got to really focus on hiring for skills and capability, not for what you did yesterday. Uh, and I think the whole idea of credentials and degrees and years of experience it was valid in a linear uh, world. We're not in that kind of a world anymore. And when you're in a world of chaos and change, uh, you need a very different kind of person. So those are, the, I think, the two probably most important things for HR to do. Uh, and all of that has to be based on a much better use of data, much better understanding of people and what, they, what they're capable of doing. And I had a fourth one just in here. It's we've got to really stop thinking about a physical workplace. Uh, unless it's critically necessary to make something, I think we just really, I, I'm really surprised at this arbitrary demand that people come back to work when they're totally happy and productive working from home. 
uh, and I don't, I get why people my age are doing that, <laughs> but uh, I think we're, we're wrong and we need to be a little bit more open about allowing people to work if we're going to keep a, a good workforce. Yeah. It's going to be interesting yeah. to see how that plays out. I think over the, the coming years, it's almost like the genie's out of the bottle now, isn't it? Around remote working and, and people, as you said, people like it. People say they're more productive. And actually the data shows that actually people are more, being more productive as well. So yeah, it's going to be interesting, but then you've got the whole thing around collaboration and, and innovation and, it's going to be very, but the technology is, is improving all the time to actually support that as well. Absolutely. But it's a matter of being choice, not force. Yeah. So if I have a choice where my three of my colleagues, we want to go, and it doesn't have to be to work. It could be to a coffee shop, but we're going to get together somewhere and collaborate on this project. Uh, why does it have to be in our cubicle? Uh, you know, I mean, it's, and I think a lot of it is we invested all this money. My God, what are we going to do with our building? This part of it. <laughs> Part of it is, uh, you know, there's so many things, the tax rate in cities, all the restaurants and shops that go out of business because people aren't there. Many spinoff effects that we haven't even begun to see play out yet. When you yeah. have a, a yeah. deserted downtown London or a deserted downtown San Francisco, you know, it's going to change the whole character of, of life in cities. Kevin, it's yeah. always a pleasure to to talk to you. I always learn a lot from, from, from listening to you. And thanks for, so much for being a guest on, on the podcast. Can you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you, follow you on social media and find out more about your work? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You can always go to www.futureoftalent.org, which is our website. Uh, and from there, you can subscribe to a free newsletter that I, that I publish each week. And I'm on Twitter, uh, kwheeler46. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. So you can you can find me pretty easily. Brilliant. Well, Kevin, thanks so much. Um, for for your time and um yeah look forward to hopefully seeing you in person at some point in the not too distant future i hope so as well thanks thanks very much been fun thank you for tuning into this episode of the digital hr leaders podcast i hope you enjoyed it thank you again to my guest kevin wheeler if you did enjoy listening please do rate the show with five stars on apple podcasts or spotify and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media we rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. For more from us at Insight 222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter by going to myhrfuture.com. We'll be back next week for episode three of series 24, where I'll be talking to Alicia Roach, founder and CEO at Equate, on her top tips to taking strategic workforce planning to the next level. Until then... Stay safe, stay well, and take care.